are no strangers to violence. It's been a part of their lives since the day they were born. Look how they responded to Lewis when he threw those dealers off campus. And so by teaching them this, uh, this Brazilian kung fu. Capoeira. Capoeira. Yes, thank you. We will be channeling their hyperactive, hormone-driven energies into something constructive. That's the idea. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen? It's a show where we talk about movies and specifically we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host Travis, aka TV's Travis. This is episode number 255. And our movie this week is 1993's Only the Strong. And here to talk with me about it because he had not seen it, it's Phil Rude. Phil, how you doing? I'm doing good, Travis. And I really appreciate you introducing this movie to me. Uh, because it's the excuse I needed to ditch my sleeves and go completely sleeveless for what I called Tank Top the Movie. There are no sleeves in this movie, therefore <laughs> I will not be wearing sleeves as I review this movie. Excellent. That is fantastic. I love it. Um, all right, so before I had mentioned this movie to you, uh, did you have any knowledge of it whatsoever? I think I had heard of it in passing. I may have seen it on... Uh, Max, or maybe it was on some other streaming service. I'm sure I've heard this movie mentioned before, but I, I really, I didn't know anything about it um, and, until you told me. And I think I told you uh, when you mentioned it to me, I looked it up on IMDb and that plot synopsis was the entirety of my knowledge about the movie. Uh, <laughs> and I had acquired it in that moment. So yeah, this was... This was uh, as new as a movie can get for me, um, where I just have honestly no idea, no expectations, no idea what it is, um, you know. Uh, so it was, yeah, yeah, complete brand new uh, for a 30-plus-year-old so, movie. So <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah, now this was one, I did not see this in theaters, but I saw it a few years later. Um, so when I was in high school, I had a friend of mine um, who – had been studying martial arts for a while and he and another mutual friend of ours started training some of us just in very basic stuff we'd get together once a week it was a great excuse to for everybody to hang out to work out a little bit to to um kind of center ourselves and we really went through a lot of teachings and he he became very interested in capoeira which i had never heard of before and he starts telling me about it he's like oh you have to watch this movie there's this movie that that features it and so he sat me down and had me watch this. And it was the first movie that I can think of when I think of Mark Dacascos is this. And I watched it and I was like, that that's really cool. And then we started training. I learned a very, very small amount of it. Um, I couldn't do any flips or anything like that. I was never athletic enough for that. Um, but we learned some very basics in the in the art. And I loved that. So like for me, this movie has kind of that nostalgic a uh, little bit there because it, it takes me back to then. It always reminds me of my friend Marco and uh, and all of that kind of stuff. So it's really great. And it was fun to get to share this with somebody because up until recently, I honestly thought Marco and I were like some of the only people that had ever heard of this movie. Uh, I have since learned that a few other people knew of it. 
But for the longest time, nobody I knew, if I mentioned only the song, like, I don't know what that is. I've never heard of that because it just, it kind of came and went. It didn't, didn't get the big following that I feel like this movie probably should have had. Um, and certainly Mark Dacascus went on to have quite the career, but um, I feel like this should have catapulted him a little bit higher than maybe what he reached. Uh, but having a chance to sit down and watch this, it is streaming on Max right now, uh, which was another thing. It wasn't available for a long time in a lot of places. So it was really cool to see it streaming on a major service. What did you think overall as a as just a movie-going experience of this movie? Um, I will tell you that I had a good time with this movie, but I will also uh, asterisk that and say a lot of it was um, my wife and I were kind of MST3King this movie. There's mm-hmm. a, a little bit of a... Uh, this movie lacked a little bit in terms of like character development it, it i looked up the writer director of this movie and he did a lot yep. of van damme stuff and and that did not yeah. surprise me at all because like van damme movies of of this time period uh before his bigger blockbuster stuff like universal soldier you know all his stuff like uh 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 what's uh blood sport and mm-hmm. things like that were just sort of like okay here's this vehicle uh for this kickboxer so everything in the plot is just to get him from one fight to the next as fast as possible. And, and I think the thing that I, that kind of pulled me out in this movie uh, when that happened was like, Oh, this is, uh, this is supposed to be like a, a, a bigger thematic story where we're supposed to care about all these characters supposed to be like, um, this, this is the most nineties movies ever because it's combining all the martial arts movies of this time period with mm-hmm. all the inspirational teacher movies of this period, but the yes. inspirational teacher movies, it doesn't go as deep as like stand and deliver or dead poet society or, uh, uh, dangerous minds, all these things that were coming out in this time period. It's just mm-hmm. sort of surface level. And that really did disappoint me, but I still had fun with it because the, the fighting style is so unique. The fight choreography yeah. is great. The fight cinematography, like they move the camera, they get in there. Oh yeah. And it really impressed me that this is a movie that like shows uh, it's, it's a real like low budget movie. You can kind of tell, I almost expected to see like a Canon logo at the start <laughs> of this movie. Um, yeah. But I it, can see that, but for, for having no budget, it's like, Oh, dude! These fight scenes, uh, like the the chop shop fight scene, really impressed me. It was like they're all over. They're following him through that camera. They're following his leg over the top, kicking a guy one time. It's really, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where this movie like ex- exceeds its budget, I think, and and really did kind of impress me. And I, um, shortcomings aside, I had a good t- I had a good time watching this. We had, you know, it's it's like a perfect length for what this movie is. Yep. Um, and, and I had never seen this kind of, uh, I've seen like Brazilian jujitsu, but I'd never seen this, this form of like South American martial arts before. Yeah. Which I do want to get into that a little bit more, but, um, you mentioned writer director. So Sheldon Lettich, um, That's who wrote, yep. wrote, co-wrote and directed this. Um, he had done, he had written Bloodsport, um, and he directed Lionheart, Double Impact, uh, yeah. The Order, which are all Van Damme. All those Van Damme vehicles, had, yeah. 
Yep, they had worked together. I was in high school. I was um, prime age for for those movies yeah. when they were coming out. Oh, yeah. You know, it's just perfect. Yep. Um, he also wrote Rambo three uh, with Sheldon. Um, oh, okay. And um, he, I've seen a couple of interviews with him uh, talking about this particular movie and sort of that era that he was making movies in. Um, and th- I also saw with the other co-writer. Um, Louis Esteban, who is in the movie, Luis, uh, I think it's, I think it's Louis Esteban. He's one of the Brazilian gang members. He's the one that like throws the basketball at him. that has the big time. Okay. Bullet. Yeah. Yep. Um, that's one of the co-writers of this. And, uh, one of the things was they chose Capoeira for it because the, the guy who was producing it, like the main producer for the film was European and it was fair. It was kind of well-known in Europe, at least it was more known there than it was here as far as a martial art. And it's so, it's such a visually interesting um, and cinematic style that yeah. it translates really well into film. Cause this is really the first, there had been Capoeira in, um, in some movies prior to this, like some people using it or whatever, but it was never showcased like it was right, here. Like right. it's, start to finish now i'm i'm gonna agree with you in that i can understand why uh you guys were doing kind of an mst3k to this movie because it's flawed it's not perfect by any stretch um when you watch it uh like i can see all of that it's tropey as all hell um i like the comparison to like the the it's like a surface level of dangerous minds and dead poet society right it's the the teacher that wants to help but then they also had to uh, like balance that with, well, but we also have to have our badass martial arts scenes and our fights and all of this. Right. And we've only got an hour and a half, so yeah. <laughs> we can only go so deep on these. Um, so it, it does have that like that uh, it has that desire to do that, but it doesn't doesn't go far enough in that direction. But at the end of the day, what it is, is it's just interesting to watch and it's fun. And I think that it helps that Mark Dacascos is so charismatic as your lead. Um, yeah. I did. I didn't know this guy. Um, he looked kind of familiar and I looked up some of his stuff. He's recently uh, in blue eyed samurai on Netflix. Yep. I don't know if, if you've seen that Amy Frost uh, recommended that to me. I'm so glad she did because uh, that show rules, but uh, he's one of the four fangs. He's uh, a voice in that. And he, I looked through his filmography. I'm like, oh, I know this thing. I know Warrior. I know uh, some other things he's done. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, uh, a super interesting career for that guy. And and to look back and go, oh, this was his first real outing in a movie. And it kind of doesn't show. He's not bad in this movie for being like, you know, sometimes you see somebody's first movie and they're not quite there yet. You know, they have the yeah, charisma. They're just, they're... They have. Yeah. They're they're still raw. Ahead, they, they don't have that. Well, yes. they don't have that presence yet, right? Like, because I mean, early Van Damme stuff got away with the same type of thing, where he it was it was purely charisma at, right. on screen and like and physicality, but the acting chops weren't there yet. Um, but I think Mark had had some has some acting chops, and he's got he got better as he went along too. A lot of people that if you watched Food Network ever, um, you probably recognize him as the chairman from Iron Chef America. Oh, OK. I, no, I didn't recognize him from that. But now that you say that, it's like, oh, OK, I can kind of uh, I can kind of see him in that seat. Yeah, 
for sure. Yeah, which was which was a thing. Like he got cast as that, and uh, and that was a big one for him just because of exposure. But you know, he had done. Um, I mean, he had. So here was the thing with this movie: is this movie got made, and one of the interviews I read or I listened to with uh, Sheldon Ledich, the director, said that like he had Mark had a agent at the time that had booked him on a movie right after Only the Strong. So they finish up Only the Strong, and before that even gets released, he's already off working on another project, and that was Double Dragon. And oh, okay. Double Dragon apparently went like months over schedule, and it was over budget, and all this kind of stuff. And so they couldn't, according to the director, 20th Century Fox really loved this movie, Only the Strong, and really wanted to push it they couldn't get Mark Dacascos to do enough press because he was uh, okay. tied up in another movie. Right. They were going to do like a, like a 12 city tour with him and um, Paco Pietro, um, who was uh, the, the bad guy in this. The, um, the gang leader. Yeah. Um, yeah. Priet Prieto uh, Silverio. So they were going to do yeah. like a, they were going to do this like 12 city tour with like demonstrations and stuff with the two of them, but they couldn't schedule it because of, Dacascus being on um, Double Dragon. So then uh, they ended up canceling all of that and they didn't do enough press for this movie. And then Double Dragon comes out and it's just a bomb. It does horrendously right, awful. Right. And it hurt this movie quite a bit because they were still in post-production on this. And then, and so it, it didn't take off. Like this movie was made for about $6 million. So you're right in that low budget. Like yeah. it was very low budget, even for its time. Uh, but it only made like three and a half. Like it just it's did funny. not do it's, much. It, it's it's funny when you you talk about the budget of this movie because uh, uh, like you could see like oh this is shot like on location in Miami this is very yep. clearly Miami and I really appreciate um that it looks like Miami they didn't go to downtown Miami they didn't go to Hollywood Miami they they were in a neighborhood of Miami and yeah. all the actors look like oh this is who you would see in Miami these aren't um uh uh ambiguous brown people that they're like oh these old stand in for cubans or whatever like it really is like caribbean people and uh yep. and uh asians and just just a huge mix so like miami's such a diverse city and they actually like show that like on the ground here but at a certain point um they go on like a camping trip their their field trip their camping trip yeah and christy and i sat there uh for those of you who don't know we live on the gulf coast of florida we sat there and tried to deduce where that was shot at. And we looked up <laughs> and it's like, uh, Miami is the only filming location listed. And it's like, oh yeah, this is low budget. They probably didn't get permits. They went to some forest preserve somewhere. We're like, all right, this is on the Gulf Coast. You can tell by the size of the waves. Uh, it's probably mm -hmm. not in the Keys, but it could be in one of the the uh, the upper, uh, you know, up the coast near the Panhandle, the Keys up there. We're just <laughs> sitting here trying to piece this together because we're like, you know, once they left Miami, they didn't get permits to do anything else. No, they were just, no. they were just uh, guerrilla uh, filming all the way on stuff like that. That's why they're out in the middle of nowhere. And I love yep. that aspect of it. I love it. it's a, it's a, like an indie filmmaking kind of thing that you see now. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you know, it's it's also like it's of that era where sort of these mid to low budget action movies didn't all exist on like sound stages they could sh they'd film them outside right. and they would do a lot of 
they also didn't rely on obviously they didn't rely on CG, but the special effects that they're doing, they're they're kind of in line with the budget, right? Like there's one oh, yeah. explosion and there's a little bit of fire. So it was stuff that they could do pretty easily contained. Um, and you can kind of tell how controlled these, the fire, the the explosion isn't big. It's not a big fireball. No. It's just like, it's like a, 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 a IED basically that they rigged up. Mm-hmm. And the fire is very controlled in this one very small, they shoot it very kind of that, that mid shot that, you can kind of tell the fire ends at the frames of the of the picture. Yep. You know, they they had a very controlled area, which is is fine. It's totally fine. I don't see, need to see a, a school burning to the ground. You know, uh, to believe that uh, this was vandals who who set the, set this school on fire. You know, yeah, oh, totally. But what I also like is the fact that they um, are able to kind of hide a little bit of that by just having interesting camera angles and camera right. locations that they would use for stuff like what you were talking about with cinematography of the fight sequences. Um, it makes it look better than what the budget would make you think. And that comes oh, down to sure. cinematographers that know what they're doing and a director who, you know, knows his action and having done uh, a couple of action movies before that and sort of having the idea of what he wants really helps. Um, so yeah, I, I, I enjoyed that and I love the locations. I like the old, they get that old firehouse that he's using. Firehouse, he's like, yeah, he's, he's living there as well as teaching right. the kids there. And like the, the fire engine is still in it. Uh, I love that. I was like, um, yeah, why didn't you take the fire engine to the school? You could have, you could have <laughs> fixed it all right there. You had a, you had a fire truck. You didn't use it. But no, it is, uh, that is a super cool set. And you also kind of get the sense in talking about the budget again, that like, oh, that's just a place that let them film there. They just mm-hmm. kind of lucked into this firehouse kind of thing. And it it totally works. It's got, you know, aside from like the Ghostbusters vibe, it is yeah. actually just a really cool setup. Uh, and, and just sort of like if you're doing that, 80s 90s cop thing where they all live in lofts or on trailers on the beach or in these interesting places like this guy lives in an abandoned firehouse that's pretty cool you know yeah um and story-wise there's a lot of kind of park your brain at the door moments there's a lot of leaps in logic um which i'm fine like i love the character of the the school principal um cochran uh who's He is a character actor that you don't know at all, but you know, because you saw him in literally everything for like 15 years. He would just it pop us in shows and movies. Yes. <laughs> um, just, it didn't matter what it was. He was in it somehow. His name's Todd Sussman, but um, he's great in this because he's just so ridiculous. Like at first he's skeptical and then, oh, it's the greatest thing ever. And he's just right. whatever you need i'll throw it at you and then one little thing happens and he's back to the get this guy out of here i want you should be arrested and then by the end of the movie he's back in his good graces like that's a that's totally the 80s 90s movie character that just flips oh, yeah. back and forth it's the authority figure but i liked it I, lo- I loved just the silliness of that um you're right in that there's no like real character arcs for anybody the closest we get is probably the kid donovan um well, Donovan and um, Orlando. Orlando. Because yeah. um, Orlando played by Richard Coca. Um, I've seen and, that guy uh, in a bunch of stuff before, too. Yeah, same thing. There's a lot of character actors in this. Um, Jeffrey Lewis is Kerrigan. 
by the way. Uh, I love Jeffrey Lewis. Yeah. He's the teacher. Um, he's just, I, there was something about him. I don't know what it was that I always like seeing whenever he pops up in something and him just being like the, the old teacher that, uh, had taught Lewis when he was in school there. Um, but he's kind of at the end of his rope and he, he's all but given up, but yet he's still there trying. <laughs> he's like, right. it's a lost cause. These kids aren't going to learn anything, but he's still up there trying to teach them. Um, I enjoyed that. Uh, Stacy Travis plays, um, Diana, Diana, that's which right. yep. that was kind of, there was a few of those plot threads that they wanted to start. And then they just kind of gave up on by the I, that, the, the love interest. It bothered me so much. As soon as they show her <laughs> in the crowd, uh, my wife goes up, oh, there's a love interest. Like we, we called it. And then, yeah. um, and then she goes away and then, uh, after he gets beat up, she's just there at his place. And he goes, mm -hmm. why were you waiting outside the firehouse for me? And she, there's just like no explanation. They're just together nope. from there. And it's just, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Where like, I, I think my biggest problems with this, I think the script kind of sucks. Like it's, there's a story there, but in, in making me, making me care about these plot threads, about these characters, about what's going on you just didn't give me any substance to anything. I think these actors, a lot of them, especially at the time, starting their careers, like we were talking about, were doing mm -hmm. a really good job with what they had. They just didn't have enough. I, I just feel like this, this script came up way, way short for me. It was just, it was very tropey, very by the numbers type of script. And like, yes. they have a character like Stacy Travis uh, in here as Diana to have a woman in the movie, but she's like the only female character. The only in the one. Movie yes. Is her. And so of course she has to be the love interest, but there's no other than them saying, Oh yeah, we dated back in high school. There's no connection between the two of them. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> they have a single kiss and then she's just like not in the movie for the rest of it. She, goes, she, she drives the bus on the field trip. I think is, oh, is yeah, about that's, it. That's yeah. True. And, um, yeah, it's it's just so bizarre. There's there's all of these uh the real the real plot of the movie where it's like the gang, you know, the gang and and uh Mark Dacascus kind of fighting for the soul of this kid. Uh that mm -hmm. really only doesn't doesn't even come up till like halfway through. Uh I, everything else is sort of brought up and dropped in that meantime and then yeah. it becomes like, "Oh, this is what the movie's really about." And this one we do have a little bit of groundwork laid for it. And I think that's why that thread is the single one that really, really works well mm -hmm. in this. Uh, otherwise, it's just a showcase for a kind of obscure uh, martial art. And I, I, I'm not even faulting it for that uh, because I think that's cool, especially when you uh, read. I don't know. Uh, maybe, you know, is the IMDb trivia about this correct? That like this thing was... Um, it was invented by slaves, uh, like African slaves in South America, and that it yes. incorporates dancing so that they they could hide that it was a fighting style that they weren't allowed to do or something like that. That's so cool. That's such a yeah. that's such an interesting kind of angle to this thing uh, that mm -hmm. I knew nothing about. And and in that way, like this movie is like kind of oh hey, here's this fighting style that you knew nothing about. Um, 
And isn't this unique and cool? And in that way, it like totally works. Yeah. Yeah. So similar to how like uh, karate was, uh, you know, and it kind of created in Okinawa as a way to for the peasants there to be able to fight back without using weapons because right. weapons weren't allowed. Um, that was that was it. So African slaves that were brought over to Brazil brought this kind of art with them and then they got it evolved and it got hidden in the dancing um, so that they could practice it without causing any problems. And that was one of the fun things about learning it and, and, and practicing it myself was when they're doing uh, like when they get in the circle and I, I don't remember all of the terms now, there's only a few of them. I do the Jenga being one, which is the, the movement mm-hmm. um, and the, the basis for it all. But when you get into that circle and you're going along, it's um, I want to say it was Jogo, which is a uh, game and the whole idea okay. in the sparring the whole idea of it was to keep the movement going. So when, when they have those um, demonstrations at the beginning and the end, and they have when they're on the oh, beach yeah. and all of that, and you see them where they're in the circle, they got the music going, and then they'll kind of cartwheel their way in and go at it yeah. for a little while. It's never sparring like other arts where the idea is to spar and kind of hit, even if it's just tapping. Right. Like, a, like a touch, I- yeah. Yeah, the idea here is to not make contact, but to get as close as you can and keep moving and keep the flow going. And so it becomes kind of a game to see what you can do and how you can react to it and how it moves. And I always love that because I love that idea of like, there's a balance to it and a constant motion to it. And it's fun. Yeah, I didn't know how much that happened, uh, like naturally or because like for the movie, obviously, like things are choreographed and things like Mm -hmm. that. But it was just sort of like watching these two come into the circle and start flipping around. And then eventually, like the closer they got, the more in sync they got. Like they would mirror mm-hmm. each other or something like that. And I, I was just like, look, this is just cool to watch. Like it's a, it's a kind of thing like, uh, hey, everybody, put on your capris and take your shirt off. Get in the circle. We're, we're doing um, some Zoolander breakdance fighting. And, <laughs> and just sort of like... Uh, almost almost like a gymnastic kind of routine aspect to it it's just so many uh, things i'm trying to compare it to of things i'm familiar with but at the same mm-hmm. time it's it's wholly different i'm all the, over the map right now um oh, because that was like a really cool aspect of this movie was was being it's kind of like the first time uh you know those van damme movies were coming out and we were all seeing kickboxing for the first time and and just yeah. going like oh wait what is this this is like karate but no nah, it's not really a martial art it's like a sport and you're just sort of watching this oh this is brutal and also super cool and yeah it's it's really wild that um uh <laughs> this came out 30 years ago uh yeah. it it displays something uh really unique and unlike other martial arts movies and then like they had you haven't seen this show up in a lot of other movies, you know, it's like, Oh, wow. You you kind of almost would have expected this to be like its own branch of martial arts movies. Uh, but we didn't really get that, you know, not, not in full, not movies that showcased it. Like this one did, you do get characters that will pop up in movies that do this. I know, um, there's a, there's a stuntman and actor named Latif Crowder who will be, he's in a bunch of kind of, um, different martial arts films, whether it's, uh, I want to say he's in like 
the protector with Tony Jaa. He shows up in a bunch of, you know, those kinds of movies okay. doing this type of stuff. He's very good at it. Um, he's probably the most recognizable face. You, you've you seen him in something, um, even if you didn't know it. He's got kind of like long dreads and uh, is usually the guy doing this. I know there was somebody in, I want to say. Is um, he in The Raid? Is he one of the, the dudes in The Raid? He might be. Um, I know like, again, movies prior to this, I think Faye in the chat mentions Bloodsport had a Capoeira person in it. And I think okay. Mortal Kombat might have as well, or somebody that was practicing it, but you would always just get glimpses of it. It would be like one person doing it or a couple of moves that would be right. from Capoeira. Um, and, and as an, a martial art, it is both artistic and very visual, but it also can be very effective because it's a lot of the spinning creates a lot of force. So, yeah, I mean, like anything, obviously in a movie, you're going to do something that looks good. You want it to vi be visually appealing. Sure. And like a real fight doesn't last that long, right? A real fights, a couple of hits and guys go down. I mean, if you watch any mixed martial arts fighting, yeah, it's a lot of dancing around before the few hits that happen. And, but, but something like this, because it's such a fluid and kind of just beautiful art to watch, especially the people that are really good, like those, that opening scene in this, and then the final one demonstration in the, in the gymnasium, I could just watch that forever. It's just so much fun to watch guys and men and women that can, that can do this, um, because it's just so fluid and it's so, so beautiful to watch. But I'll tell you what, if you, uh, if you, don't get out of the way and you catch one of those uh, spinning back roundhouse kicks. That'll hurt because you are putting oh, yeah. some force into that. And um, I did see there was, um, I don't remember what YouTube channel it is, but they'll bring people in to like that are experts in a specific field and have them kind of talk about scenes and movies and television that are in their field. They'll have like a safe. Oh yeah. 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 I've, I've seen those. Um, and they had, yeah, they had a guy who is actually in this movie um doing that for capoeira uh he's um he is right at the beginning and the end um he's the the guy with kind of shorter dreads um kind of like chin length dreadlocks oh yeah yeah okay yeah yeah um and it was it took me a minute to realize it was the same guy when i was watching the youtube video because he's shaved bald now um oh, all right. it, when he got yeah. to when he got to only the strong, he's like, yeah, I, this was, this was about 30 years ago when I still had hair. Um, but he <laughs> talked about exactly that. He's like, one of the reasons he said, this one is probably my favorite of the movies that have involved it. Not because I was in it, but because it showcased it because it was from beginning to end about that art right. instead of just a person doing it. Um, so that I thought was really cool, but yeah, it's, it's one of those that's just, it's just so much fun to watch. And I don't believe so. Mark Dacascos was kind of born into martial arts. Like his, both his parents studied, and I think even had forms that were sort of their own. Okay. And uh, and he'd been doing it forever. Um, by this point, he was twenty nine, I think, when he made this twenty eight, twenty nine. Um, so he had been training for quite a while already. But Capoeira, I believe, was fairly new to him when he started this movie. So for him to look as good as he did doing it is sure. pretty impressive. I'm sure it helps to have like a grounding in, in something mm -hmm. like that. But yeah, that's interesting. Uh, you know, he's like 29. 
uh, because there are high school students in this movie that look older than he does. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. I think he's supposed to be playing like somewhere in his mid twenties. Um, mm -hmm. He's been away in the army for a few years and, uh, and has come back. Uh, it's like, welcome back Cotter with kicking, but, um, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, um, uh, he, he, <laughs> he does look super young. He's pretty baby faced in this movie. Mm -hmm. um, but to talk about like the, the force of those kicks, like that's the thing uh, about watching this is like, these guys are like constantly in motion and not just like, like rocking back and forth. Their, their feet are always moving. They're kind of going in this figure eight pattern or these, these weird circles. So like they always have this momentum going whenever they do like move to strike you. It's, it's got like, a hundred steps behind it by the time they they put it in motion it's it's yep. really it's it's i keep saying it it's just super interesting to watch um, yeah because that and i like this the, this movie showcases I, I just wish the movie had been good enough to kind of make a bigger splash and make people sort of notice this movie a little bit more and notice this martial art a little bit more yeah and Honestly, I think had it been marketed heavier, had they been able to do some of the marketing they right, wanted sure. to do and maybe 20th Century Fox got behind it a little bit more, I think this could have been, I'm not going to say it would be, you know, just a, a huge blockbuster, but it could have been like that um, in that same vein as some of those Van Damme films uh, sure. and like Sloan stuff in the, in the 90s where... Mike Mark Dacascus could have he kind of went on to do mostly direct to video smaller stuff throughout the nineties because he did this he did um this was his kind of big sort of breakout uh double dragon was the next year he did the redemption, which was kickboxer five, which wasn't very good um but he went on to work with uh director Christoph Gann, who did um he did a movie with him called Crying Freeman that's supposed to be very, very good. Um, as well as, uh, he went on to do brotherhood of the wolf. That was another one that he was oh, in on uh, 2000. I have not seen that, but I have heard of that. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, all right. And make myself a note to get you back. Yeah, on put it on the list. The yeah. <laughs> like, for that, sure. that, that is a, I love that movie because it mixes in kind of your martial arts films with, uh, a horror element to it, but it's also a period piece. Um, it's really interesting. Okay. Um, but yeah, like Dacascus did a lot of stuff like that, but he, uh, drive was another one that was his. And like a lot of these sort of direct to video action movies. Um, yeah, but he, uh, brotherhood of the wolf. And then he was able to do Crail to the grave with Jet Li and DMX. Uh, Jet Li. Yeah. I, I remember yeah, that the, movie. The villain. Uh, that was, that. that was during the, the Jet Li comes to America craze. Correct. Like yep. where, yeah. Uh, you know, like Romeo must die, and uh, was he was he the well, replacement killers? Uh, he did that last uh, Lethal Weapon movie. You know, he was all over the place for a couple of years. Replacement killers, I think, was Chow no, no, that was Chow Yun Fat. Never mind. I'm, yeah, uh, um, no, he did because uh, he did Romeo must die, and DMX was in that for like two minutes, and <laughs> then then a couple of years later, they do Cradle to the Grave, um, and that one had Mark Dacascos in it. He also. Um, was in the uh, short-lived um, The Crow Stairway to Heaven series. Mark oh, Dukaskis I did played... read that. Yes. Uh, he, yeah, played he played the Brandon Lee character. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, which was at least, 
I've watched the pilot, which is effectively just the movie being retold in the in okay. the show. Um, and I liked him in there. I really just like him as a presence on screen. He's somebody that uh, I've always enjoyed. And then you see him like he popped up in uh, John Wick Chapter Three. Um, I saw that ago. on there. Yeah, um, and he's so much fun in that. If you haven't seen that. Uh, watch it because he I is... haven't seen any John Wicks past the the first one. Um, so uh, yeah, that's big blind spots for me too. It's a it's a good one. Uh, what I love about him, I had um, Sean White Cyrenix on the show. We talked about all the John Wicks. Yeah. Um and uh, we loved in three Mark Dacascos because he plays this character of Zero, who's basically like a John Wick fanboy, but also <laughs> contracted okay. to kill him. So uh, he's, he's like, yeah. yeah, he's like this, this uh, almost giddy fanboy because he gets to fight John wick. Like he it's, it's his proving thing. And I also, the other thing is Mark Dacascos, every interview I've ever seen with him, he just seems like the nicest, most positive person. Like I, I, I can't ever find anything that makes him seem, he doesn't have like a kind of a diva attitude and you, right. You could get right. that when you star in a bunch of movies, even if they're low budget, there could be ego involved in that. And it just feels like he doesn't have that big ego. Yeah. And that's always um, nice. Uh, nice to see when somebody is, uh, you know, not acting like it's a chore to be interviewed and, and to mm -hmm. have someone pay attention to their work. Uh, I yeah. want to take us off track for just one second and go back to when you mentioned uh, DMX in that Jet Li movie and go just talk it. about how great it was at that moment that Jet Li was all over the place, that there was like this weird cross, not weird, it was like an appropriate crossover with like, it seemed like with the hip hop world, it was all over the soundtracks, mm -hmm. rappers were showing up in these movies. And I feel like that is like the long overdue sort of aspect of um like the 70s when uh black audiences like really embraced kung fu movies and were a big oh, part yeah. of why they got uh exported to america so much and i i feel like for a long time that didn't get acknowledged and there's a um there's a documentary called like flying kicks flying fists and kung fu kicks or something like that and it documents martial arts the history of martial arts cinema in Japan, in China, and then about how it came to the United States and mm -hmm. how it was like heavily embraced by, by black uh, moviegoers and that they were such yeah. a huge part of making that a success, but often didn't really get credit for making it the success in America that it was. No, they don't. And, and it's unfortunate because you look at something like um, Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon, that should have, and it's a cult right. classic, but like that should have been a launching point for more of that kind of thing. And we do have some of that, right? Like Billy Blanks and his movies. Sure, sure. Um, I, I, I'm not, not, I'm not trying to, but, to shrug off that there are a lot of like black martial artists and that that is, is a big part of the culture. But I feel like specifically when they started putting rappers in martial arts movies and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Oh yeah. And, and just sort of like, hip hop is on the soundtrack and they're just going like, yes, this has always been a big part of it. The Luke Cage, uh, Netflix series. He was like oh. referencing Kung Fu movies left and right. And just like, 
you know, well, I mean, going deep cut Wu- on that stuff, you know, yeah, which the, is the Wu Tang sure. Clan, like their whole thing. Yeah, Wu Tang yeah. Clan loved those movies. That's where all that came from. And I, I agree with you. Like, there had been sort of a, a subculture of it um, in the right. movies, but it never got mainstream until sort of you started seeing that kind of stuff happening with Jet Li and and For all sure. that. That's when it really hit where it was like big movies that were hitting the box office that you, you would see in small towns. You know, it yeah. wasn't just the, the like uh second run kind of, we only show martial arts movies theaters that you could get right. in New York city or Chicago or something. It was, these were nationwide releases with these were the multiplex. Yeah. Yep. And I loved that because the music in those movies is always great. And oh, having yeah. all that stuff on the soundtrack. And this movie had some amazing mixes of kind of the traditional Brazilian music and the early 90s hip hop of the era. Um, and the, and I love the, the mixing of those two. The thing that I predicted that I still wish they had done was um, the final fight when they all come out. You know, they have the uh, Oh, Captain, My Captain moment where they all show up in, uh, yep. in white. Um, I, I expected instead of them chanting, they would have brought out a boom box and had Donovan's mix on there. (laughs) And I'm like, that would have been the perfect, like full circle moment here. You know, it was, uh, Chekhov's mixtape, you know, it would have been, but, uh, uh, but it was still, it was still like, uh, uh, it was cool to, oh yeah, we did this chant all the time. Um, but I really did expect that because, you know, Donovan was that. Again, it was the trope of the the teacher trying to do right, but one got away from them, you know, and uh, yep. we saw it in Dangerous Minds. We see it in Dead Poets Society. Um, but and it's so signposted in this, too. Like, as soon uh, oh, as they go 100%. into the building yes. <laughs> and and like you see him go into the room to get uh, Kerrigan and they're bringing him out and you see you. It's like, oh, he's going to he's going to go back yeah. in for that instrument, yep. isn't he? And then you show the instrument. It's like, oh, yeah, no. Well, it's been nice knowing you, Donovan. Yeah, and he's exactly. the tropey, he's the trope of the the first student to crack to show, and it's always I love when a movie does this where they have like these are the twelve worst students in the school and they show up and you're like these are the worst students you have yeah these are this is uh, at all <laughs> look at this kid he skateboards he has a backwards hat of course he's a bad student <laughs> you know yeah. like it's like but no like, these these guys are nothing these are uh, yeah. these are just jokers yeah. But I like that, like, I love the fact that Donovan is really into music. And so that's his connection to it to start is he gets into the music because, you know, Lewis as a character, it was so smart of him to, you know, be like, hey, kid, turn that music up because everyone's always telling him to shut his music off, to turn it down. So he can't he's immediately made that connection there. And then when Donovan shows up the next morning and he's like, yeah, I took your song, you know, and I ran it through. And of course, techno babble, I ran it through a MIDI setup. Like, well, it's a cassette right. tape. So not really, right. cause you, you're <laughs> right. not separating tracks out from that, Yes, but okay, that's fine. We'll from, just pretend from you your max cell cassette tape. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> but for, for Donovan to be the one that like makes that first connection and he, he takes it and he modernizes the music. So it fits for them a little bit more. Right. So now, now there's the avenue to get the kids in there. And then Shay being the first kid to like, you know, really start training. 
um oh was, yeah was cool because he's the kid that Dacascus stood up for that lewis stands up for when he beats right. the crap he doesn't want to deal drugs and his brother's kicking his ass and yeah who i think his brother is supposed to also be a student but i'm not sure but he definitely is a 30 year old oh so, 30 at least i'm thinking he's my age now you know like yeah, he's he's in his late 40s <laughs> it's, it's jeffrey jeffrey anderson gunter played uh philippe uh, the jamaican gang leader right and i don't know when i don't know exactly how old he is but he was definitely not high school age at the time this movie no, came out no. um but, uh, but he kind of yeah, there, there was the one by one of them sort of falling in line as they started to see uh oh this is actually cool this is a cool oh you can kick somebody's ass with this but it makes mm -hmm. total sense for the first thing to be music because this is so like dance based it's like it's rhythmic yep. it's all of these things uh and the music so... the the traditional music around it is so important to the art right the the drums and the birambao. This is where I learned what a birambao was, um, as an instrument. And that's that both bowed thing, right? Yep. And once you yep. know, once you hear that, like you've heard that instrument and stuff, I'm sure. Sure. Um, but it, like knowing that's what it is, and it's so important to the art, uh, the music and the movements are so intertwined that it's the perfect way to like write it in there. That's the avenue they take to get in. Which, by the way, music in this movie. Um, do you remember, I want to say it was either late nineties or early two thousands Mazda had their big ad campaign that was zoom, zoom. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that ad zoom, campaign zoom at the end of every ad, yeah, yep. that ad campaign used the song from this movie. Oh, no shit. Um, and that was where the zoom, zoom came from. And I remember that ad playing and I'm like, I know this song. <laughs> like it might be the first time I could think of where a song using an ad that wasn't an already well-known song. Like it right, wasn't, right. Uh, but it was a song that I knew and I'm hearing it. I'm like, that's from only the strong. What are they using this in a Mazda commercial for? It's crazy. But like now they do that all the time. Well, they'll find like an indie song or something like that, that yep. is there, but not everybody knows it. But yeah, that's really, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a deep cut. Remember that Mazda commercial? No, like, yeah. um, but I, I loved the aspect of this where um, he's training these kids in this martial arts, but also a part of that is you have to learn how to play these drums. You have yep. to learn how to keep rhythm and do it as a group. Like it's, it's the kind of thing of like, I want to learn how to uh, record music. So give me a guitar. And it's like, well, okay, you need to learn the guitar, but you also need to learn how to uh, set levels. You need to learn how to do a noise gate. You need to learn how to, yep. you know, like this idea of like, if you want to learn a skill, there's so many aspects of of what the whole is. And I, I like that. I like, I have this, uh, I was trying to explain it to my wife and I've heard it called like competency porn. And it's stuff like the bear where you're just watching people be good at cooking and and managing the stress of, of a restaurant kitchen. And there's just something I love about that. And so like this this movie that had about nine montages too many, uh, <laughs> every, every so often they drop a montage in there where they're training and you're going like, oh, this, this is really cool because you're watching them 
uh, be good at this thing and also yep. be good at all of these other things that make up the whole of this thing. Um, yeah. I'm probably explaining it terribly, but it, it some of these montages were super cool. The shadow, the, sh the cast shadow boxing, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was kind of a montage with um, the first kid who stays late, uh, that black oh, kid yeah. who didn't want to sell the drugs. And, and uh, Kerrigan shows up and walks into the firehouse. And you all you see is their shadows on the wall mm -hmm. uh, after they've been that training a, all day. And it's just such, such a, a great, cool shot. great shot. And some of this these montages have great shots like that and great aspects to it. Um so it, there was, you know, I, oh. I do come down hard on parts of this movie, but like, there is stuff like that, that I will, am just like, that's really cool. That's really cool for this small movie with no budget to still be able to pull off these really, really cool shots and montages. Yeah. Um, real quick on that, that shadow shot, there's a fun little goof there. When Kerrigan's walking in, you hear somebody say, Hey, Mark. Um, and <laughs> there's nobody named Mark in that scene except for Mark Dacascos. So that somehow got left in the movie. I'm not sure how that did it, but it's cool. Um, no, I love, I love that aspect of everything because it is, uh, when you train martial arts, it's, it's a whole, it's a whole, I hate using the term holistic, but it's that it's all of the aspects of it. Um, and that is, uh, definitely one of them is the music and learning to play that music. So that was always, it's just a cool thing because I do remember, uh, also doing that. We didn't have a beer and bow, um, I don't believe, but we did have to, you know, you got to learn the rhythm. You got to learn how to keep time because it's important um, when you're doing the art. So there is that aspect as well. Um, but yeah, I just, um, I mean, it, it, it is a fun movie. Yes, you could pick it apart. There's a whole lot of like logical flaws and leaps and silly stuff that goes on, but when you kind of compare and contrast it to other martial arts films, I mean, look at a Jackie Chan film, look at uh, a lot of oh, sure. uh, Hong Kong action, which is what this is basically emulating. Um, it, it fits right in that vein, which is why I just, I wish it had been a bigger uh, hit because not only Mark Dacascos, but I think Paco Christian Prieto um, as Silverio was a great villain. Oh, um, he was great, man. And he even just like looks like the perfect bad guy, especially for this era. You know, he's mm -hmm. got the long ponytail. He's shaped like a V. You know, he's tall. Yep. He's imposing. Yeah. And when he goes, I grew up in the toughest barrio in Rio, <laughs> Rio de Janeiro. You believe him. You're like, this mm -hmm. guy will kick your ass and laugh about it, you know? Yeah. Um, he also reminded me of, uh, he is, he was born in Mexico city. Um, and, uh, but he looks to me like a, like a Mexican version of Adrian Paul with that ponytail and just sort oh, of, maybe. Yeah. he's got a little bit of that build to him and, and the, the height. Cause he is that, that's the thing that works so well for him here too, is that height and that sneer that he's got, right. Yeah. He's got that look that just like, he just doesn't care about you at all. And he's oh, tall yeah. and just physically imposing. So he was a great villain. Um, yeah, I just I just enjoy this movie. It's just it's it's silly fun, and that's what I think a movie like this should be. But it's the it's the showcase of Capoeira that brings me back to it. Uh, and Mark Dacascos. It and we we didn't even talk too much about the fight in the chop shop. You mentioned it earlier, but that whole scene is just 
amazing from start to finish when he shows up and he's like hey can you tell me where i can find a hot mercedes and then just starts kicking the crap out of people when and he like, kicks the guy there's a guy holding a car door that's been taken off and he kicks him through the window i laugh <laughs> harder than i've ever laughed before because it's so ridiculous and also like super cool it's just yeah it's a great move and he just like throws a guy over a car the guy mm -hmm. who's like in a welding mask he's got like an acetylene torch who is uh, Frank Dukes, if as, yeah. if the credits are to be believed. Um, no, it from, was him in f uh, uh, Bloodsport. The, the, the yeah. Bloodsport is about, yeah. Um, yeah, in and, fact, and that's he sort was... of an interesting like henchman to have like, almost like, okay, we can't have mutants in this movie, but what if there <laughs> is a giant guy in a welding mask in it with an acetylene torch? And it's like, yeah, this works. So, yeah, he was credited as stunts and the fight choreographer for this film as well. But apparently, okay. um, so he had worked with Sheldon Lettich on Bloodsport. You know, they wrote for Bloodsport sure. yeah. and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. And they had some kind of a falling out. And apparently on this movie, like Lettich had said that he didn't love the fight choreography that Frank came up with for it. Um, and I even saw in an interview with the other, uh, the other writer, um, Luis Esteban, mm -hmm. who said that like Frank, he, he was, because as normally a writer doesn't spend a lot of time on set in a movie, um, sure. unless it's a writer director. Like if you wrote a script and somebody bought the script and they're making it, they don't typically have the writer around very much. Or if you're um, Stanley Kubrick and you're still figuring out how it's going to end while you're shooting it, you know, that kind of also thing. Also true. But Yeah. But he said that like this was a movie he got to be around and obviously he was in it. Um, but he he said that for all his time on set, um, he only had like two conversations with Frank Dukes. And oh, yeah. he was in choreography. Right. He barely talked to Frank Dukes. And like, I guess Frank just wasn't all that useful on the movie and ended up getting fired from it or something. I don't know. But yeah, for him to be the guy with the welding acetylene torch fighting yeah. Mark McCaskis is pretty great. Isn't um, Frank, Dukes, Frank Dukes, isn't he like reputed to be kind of difficult and his maybe not the most credible guy? It's, uh, yeah, there is, there's, uh, there's, stories there's a lot of questions. Yeah. yeah. A lot of questions of how, uh, how legitimate some of his claims can be. Um, right. And some of the stuff is like his stuff revolving around, uh, him being a ninja or right. uh, yeah, yeah, fighting yes. the Kumite. Like Make, yes, these underground prove. fighting tournament. Yeah. Yeah. There's no way to prove any of that, so it's just kind of like his word. But it's but the, apparently, uh, uh, what was the what was the dating show guy's name? Chuck Barris. The yeah, the, uh, Confessions of a Dangerous. Fight. You know, it's like you can't you can't prove that I wasn't a CIA assassin. Right, <laughs> same exactly. Kind of, same kind of thing. Yeah. But I guess like Sheldon Ledich and him fell out in part because they were. I want to say they were both in the Marine Corps, and maybe that some of his claims from the Marine Corps okay. rubbed Ledich the wrong way eventually or something. I don't remember exactly what it was. And they don't really like to talk about it, which I understand. And it's not really for us to talk about. But yeah, sure. Frank Dukes is, he's an incredible uh, presence. And he definitely knows some martial arts. There's no question about that. Right. But yeah, some of his stories are a little, little suspicious, we'll say. As a uh, former I, Marine, I, had... I can tell you uh, uh, there's a lot of stretched truths in a lot of stories <laughs> you hear uh, in those. Oh, sure. So, yeah. <laughs>
but it was definitely I had no idea until this watching and I've watched this movie a few times over the the years that he was involved in it. I never because I just never looked into yeah. it that far um, until recently. Yeah. And he's got he's got the mask on and stuff. Big guy, bigger guy than I thought he'd be. But yeah. Um, yeah. And he has a great they uh, Lewis takes him out in a great way. Mark oh, yeah. just, with, just with traps the, him under a car. Jack. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's great. great. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that fight scene also when he. When he grabs the metal pole and starts swinging it around like a bow staff, yeah. that was one of those where I'm like, I want to fight with a bow staff. Like I wanted a quarter staff so bad after watching that just to be able to do some of the stuff that he was doing there and how smoothly he can do that. And that's the thing with Dacascus is he's always so smooth in everything that he does. It always looks yeah. fluid. He's he's little, he just, he's light, he moves like a like a ballet guy, you know, like, you know, mm -hmm. like how martial artists like take dance a lot of times and, and yep. all of the, all of the moves that they're doing uh, earlier without weapons, when he picks up a weapon, it translates like, it just keeps going. Like when he swings around, now it's not his arm doing it. Now he's got that staff coming around or those knives that they're fighting with. And it just, yep. the way that it, the way that it, it just, keeps that momentum going into a weapon and the moves are the same it just looks uh super cool it's a it's a really really interesting i'm a little jealous that you got to learn some of this stuff uh travis because it, it really is uh it really is impressive it was a lot of fun if i can and i can't kick that high so i i don't know if i'd be able to do any of this i i could sort of do some of the kicks but i couldn't do anything where you have to lead the ground or do much of a cartwheel that was where my okay. stuff kind of stopped right. i just didn't have that at the time i was building towards that but this was back when i was in high school and i was about a buck 50 like i just sure. i had no yeah. i had no upper body strength at all um but it was a it was just it was a lot of fun to to learn and so then to see it showcased in a movie like this and then so now whenever i see it in anything anytime a, a character uses it i i like capoeira and then drunken boxing is the other one. When I see somebody in a movie doing mm -hmm. drunken boxing, I always love that because it's such a unique form. Like there's a lot of yeah. the martial arts. The thing I love about them is they're, they're so intrinsic to whatever culture they're in. Uh, but they, and, and there's always variances and differences between them. But then every once in a while, there's ones that just really stand out drunken boxing and capoeira being the ones that, are so much more visual and presentation oriented right? Um, that, uh, that they just stand out and they make for really fun movies. So well, drunken boxing biggest... looks like the thing that I could do, but when it comes down to doing actual <laughs> moves and it is something that I have done before, if you want to get not the martial art form, just in general, drunken boxing yeah. people, like, but, <laughs> yep. uh, but yeah, I always remember the matrix when they're downloading all the, um, all the martial arts, uh, styles into him and drunken boxing shows up on the screen. I'm like, wait, is that a thing? Or are they just teaching him how to do like bar fighting? And then so you're like, I, oh, then like the Jackie Chan movie came to America, the the drunken yep. master. And, and you're like, oh, this is that, like the movie's goofy. Uh, but like what they're talking about and what the, the form is, is like, oh, this is really actually super interesting. <laughs> Pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. And really difficult too. like, oh, I'm sure. The, yeah. The, uh, the, just strength and flexibility it takes to do some of that stuff is insane. Uh huh. Um, but I could watch Jackie Chan do drunken boxing all day. And Jackie I Chan's love. So fun. Yeah. Yeah. 
he he did a couple of movies where it focused on drunken boxing and um those were great but yeah this this is a just a fun silly movie and i'm so glad that you got to watch it and i'm glad that you enjoyed it because i had a feeling you would i was hoping that like the music would be something that you could kind of get behind too um and that's yeah, that's always no, a lot of cool. fun uh but i i had it's that it's feeling like a mix right? of like world music and then like hip-hop and and some yeah. like super early technical techno stuff yeah and it's that um, it's very much that early 90s hip-hop too like yeah it's, ve- it's it's sort of like i don't think the w- and it's east coast like it's it's very east coast miami hip-hop mm-hmm. um and i think this was right kind of at the cusp of sort of the west coast explosion um with snoop oh Dog yeah it would have been Dre right before uh that stuff was everywhere um but yeah like you have the latin influence in like mm-hmm. miami uh hip-hop yeah. as well uh christy was watching it with me and she's just like oh my god i i love looking at the old clothes the old hairstyles oh, yeah. you know like oh. this when we were in high school um those so, were incredible uh, a lot of mullets <laughs> yeah a lot of cross lot. colors um uh mm-hmm uh clothes too it was, it was a little bit before like tommy hilfiger uh yeah. but like i remember cross colors was like the big thing uh back mm-hmm. then um yeah, yeah this really, is a fun really interesting movie for sure um i did get a couple of sound clips i just want to play a couple of these because they're they're pretty funny oh, um i you anytime there is the uh teacher trying to do something good you have to have another teacher who's just the complete douche in this case it's the teacher hector who is i guess was dating diane oh yeah i'm not okay like there again it was these were all plot threads that just like they show them sort of together yeah yeah um but he just he had the great uh when there when jeffrey um uh lewis when Kerrigan is trying to, the first time he's explaining to all the teachers and the principal, like, yeah, this is a great idea. He's connecting with these kids. And Hector's like, doing what, pray tell? Training death squads? <laughs> because, of course, <laughs> if he's in the army, it's got to be death squads. Oh, that's, that's what he was doing is death squads in, in South I America. Yeah. <laughs> yep, he was, he was teaching death squads in Brazil. This movie um, is oddly actually, almost anti-military in a way that movies never were back then. <laughs> in the right. way that in the way that the characters talk of, oh, you were away in the army. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> wow, that's what a weird reaction <laughs> to that. Uh I think if they ever did, and there was there was rumor for a while that they were they wanted to do a sequel to this. Um, if they ever did a sequel, they would have to explore Lewis's background a little more dive into like what happened to him in oh, brazil yeah. you know that would have been the thing to follow it up on is like what happened in brazil because there's mention of him being kind of this self-centered kid and then he goes off into the army oh yeah yeah and it changes so when he comes back he's he's a lot more altruistic and like i love that silverio gives him the nickname of santo and he's calling him a yeah. saint and all that like again i love that's tropey but i love when a villain does that when they give the derisive nickname to the hero of the movie. Oh, for sure. Um, and I did like that. Uh, they didn't talk a lot about what he did in the army, but that what, what we see of it is like, okay, he went here and instead of being like the fish out of water, you kind of get the sense like he was like, Oh, this place is cool. I want to, I want to learn about this. It was, it was almost yeah. like a, 
a diving into the culture instead of, uh, you know, so often it's portrayed like, oh, these Marines are stationed in Japan and they just walk around like they own the place or whatever, you know, or, yeah. or these are the asshole servicemen that are terrorizing the people in the town. And it's just like here, it's like he went to South America and even the other army guy, the guy who shows up with the giant Oakleys on the most 90s yeah. thing in this movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but, but he like calls him Tarzan and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, they talk about him like, you know, going local or whatever. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I liked that aspect of it, that he was just sort of like, oh, I respect this culture and I want to be a part of it. Yeah. Yep. Which is, uh, it would be fun to explore that. Um, let's see. Oh, uh, I love when Lewis first goes to the school and like he walks in and of course he's seeing, you know, the bars and everything and all that. And he goes into the bathroom to like wash his face off, or he uses the bathroom, turns around to wash his face off and just random guy in the bathroom starts trying to buy drugs off of him, uh, who ends up being in his class later, uh, which cracked me up. But, um, I just love this line. Hey man, what do you think? You're the only pharmacy in town, man. <laughs> the, uh, the 30 year old high school senior. Yes. Yeah. Um, he's doing a rail off a public toilet. <laughs> <laughs> and then Oh, and just the, like the grossest public toilet too. Like oh, that yeah. was, that place hadn't been cleaned in months. Yeah, um, that place, that school was something. Let's see. Uh, this one's classroom. I don't remember. I don't remember half of these now. How about I naturally select to walk out of this boring ass classroom? <laughs> oh, that was the one. Again, uh, trophy. And that was a rapper. High school student. Yeah. Oh, was that it? was, um. Yeah, that was a rapper. What is his name? Because they, he's uh, credited as student rapper. It's Mellow Man Ace is who it was. Um, I'm not super familiar with him, but. No, I don't know. But uh, that's who that was. And I just love that, like, you know, natural selection and just that's such a 90s moment. How about I just naturally <laughs> yeah, select yeah. a walk out of this classroom? Um, I did like Lewis, you know, saying like this line. Again, if we don't start trusting them, why should they start trusting us? Which is, you know, it's true. Like you got to trust these kids a little bit because Kerrigan, yeah. again, Kerrigan is like, he's given up without giving up. He's given up sort of trying to connect with the kids, but he's, he's still going through the motions and he needed Lewis to sort of set him on the, on back on his path uh, of teaching. And again, because like the third act of the movie has nothing to do with that. Um, we don't see him again until the final yeah. scene in the movie. Uh, yeah. Uh, again, just another thread that's sort of left hanging, but yeah, it's um, uh, that it's an interesting I don't even I don't even know if we can call it an arc, but I think uh, that actor, I can't remember his name. Uh, he plays it really well. He plays Kerrigan really well, where he's like super outraged, which is a little awkward because we don't have background with this guy. But then the mm -hmm. way he sort of gets behind Lewis and, and sort of backs him up and sort of watches. He's sort of like almost like our window into watching these kids come along until the movie just drops him off somewhere and yeah, and leaves him behind. Basically, after the whole scene where his classroom gets lit on fire and Silverio leaves him there to die. Yeah. 
we just don't see him again. But it's and it's Jeffrey Lewis that played him, um, who again, great character actor, also father of Juliette Lewis. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Fool is the title of this one. Let's see what that is. I'm sticking my neck out for you. Do not make me look like a fool. That's going to be pretty near impossible. It's hard to hear that one, but I just like that. Don't make me look like a fool. Yeah, too late for that, sir. <laughs> um, see, this is a... Oh, this was right after he has the first fight with the Jamaican gang leader, um, Shay's brother, in the courtyard. In the, in the courtyard, yeah. The courtyard of the school where Kerrigan notices all the students and everybody watching it. And then I just I just like this uh, this line. You did something none of us professionals been able to do for the last five years. You got their attention. You got their attention. <laughs> I thought he was going to say, you managed to do something we haven't been able to. Kick some ass. <laughs> I, I love how he's, uh, all the kids are cheering on this fight that's going on. And then Kerrigan mm -hmm. comes in and he's cheering right along with him. Yep. It's, oh, it's, it's so good. Wildest thing. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, I mean, the movie has some good lines later on. I didn't really capture anything else. Um, but it's 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 more about the action uh, i think than anything oh, although sure. a lot of the lines were from uh silverio and they it was unfortunately because this movie didn't do great in the box office and it wasn't like a huge hit it's on streaming but it's not the greatest transfer so it's a transfer from oh. like an old dvd yeah um no the sound mix on max is awful the the all the dialogue is super quiet and mm -hmm. then everything else is super loud. Uh, so it, I just, yeah, I had to watch with subtitles on, which yeah, is also the, the movie, pretty fun. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> the movie deserves like a remaster. We'll probably never get it because it just wasn't a big enough movie um, for that. But it, it would be great to see a nice remaster of this with just better a better sound mix. Because um, that does kind of set it in its date of like, early nineties. There's also, there's moments where the sound is out of sync too. And those are so glaringly yeah. obvious. Uh, but you know, I, again, with a smaller movie like this, I like, I can kind of let that stuff go, but it's just, it's fun. At the end of the day, this is an enjoyable movie that doesn't try to be too much either. Like it's, it's centered. It keeps everything small. It's centered in this neighborhood, right? It's around this one school yeah. in this one neighborhood, the closest we get to anything expanding beyond that is principal Cochran being like, I'm going to take this Capoeira thing to every school in the city. Oh yeah. I'm going to go to the school board for it. And then right. like a day later, I want you out of my office and you, you should be arrested. <laughs> he was bringing the news crew there. And then he's like, get out of here. <laughs> what, what are you yep. doing? <laughs> he flips so, on him so hard. So dumb. And I love every second of it, but I'm glad you got to watch this. This is one, um, you know, you do your show with uh, with Austin. You should um, should show him this one sometime. Uh, yeah, I'd... I would like to show him some old um, martial arts stuff. I like the uh, '70s stuff. I saw Enter the Dragon with my oldest son uh, in the theater last year, mm, and nice. we had a great time uh, watching that. Um, but yeah, there's definitely some '80s '90s era uh, stuff in the in the vein of Van Damme. You know, we can watch like Bloodsport or something like that, 
or I'm a little more partial to like his bigger budget stuff like Universal Soldier and mm-hmm. uh and stuff like that that I think is is like legitimately had the budget to make a really solid movie around him. Uh this is but this is in that vein and um this would be kind of I think that whole genre is kind of a blind spot for him. So it could be kind of fun to absolutely be- blindside him with, <laughs> with something like this. It would be a good time. Cuz cuz you can blindside him with stuff like this or like some of the um early John Woo stuff, right? Like uh Oh yeah. Uh you know, and I w- I would love to watch something like The Killer, like like Hong yeah. Kong John Woo stuff, you know, yes. um that is that is really great. Uh speaking of Chinese Yeah, some fat, of the some of the lesser known or or lesser known in America movies right. um that aren't you know Jackie Chan and Jet Li which are great and I'd love to get his uh, I'd love to have him see sure. those too but like some of these other ones some of the um you know Hard Target right John Woo coming to America yeah uh, the killer would be a great one or uh was it was it, didn't he do one a better tomorrow I think was also John Woo something like that yeah um, uh, before but this he was got into like Mission Impossible movies and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah, he had, that, he had this little window of American movies that were that were pretty fun. Um, Hard Target, I, uh, Broken I, Arrow, I, uh, Broken Arrow is one that I think is is sort of like that's where he nailed the best of like he brings enough quality into it to make it super entertaining, and it's still cheesy enough to be John Woo, uh, a John Woo movie. It's not it's not full camp of Face Off. And it's not, mm-hmm. uh, I have a hard, I know a lot of people like hard target. I've, uh, I've never j- locked in with that movie. I don't know why, uh, Wilford Brimley, the Cajun accent is just too much, but, um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, broken arrow is that one that falls like right in the middle for me of like the American John Woo stuff. And I could totally bring that to him and just go, let's just have fun with this. Don't fucking think about anything. Just go with, go with yep. what this movie is serving you and you will have a good time with that. Absolutely. Um, oh, very cool. Well, speaking of that show, um, let people know about the show you do with uh, with Austin. Uh, Austin and I uh, do a show called The Picture Show with Austin and Phil Rude. We uh, review movies and uh, we are currently on hiatus, but every once in a while we will throw a random episode. We'll talk about something um, or just our random thoughts. I reviewed all the Friday the 13th movies and just single mic uh, 10 to 20 minute episodes last fall. Uh, so I'm going to veer off right here and tell you that Austin has a brand new show. It is about Doctor Who. He is a giant Doctor Who fan and he is reviewing episodes about it. It is called Who is on First. Uh, the first episode just dropped uh, last Friday and it's on Spotify. It's he's getting it on more uh podcast outlets uh but it is out there uh go check that out his first is a round table with a bunch of fans and people he's met through fan communities um and they're just talking about what's great about doctor who so if you are a whovian or a fan of austin uh i i want to use my shout out time to tell you to go check out his his new show episodes are dropping Fridays, I believe. Excellent. Yeah, I saw he was doing a Doctor Who podcast, and I love that. And also, I really liked your um, going through the Friday the 13th stuff. Oh, last fall. I, I, uh, I had a lot of fun with those, man. I had I had a blast listening to those because 
like you as a first time watcher of basically all of them, I think, had you seen any of them? I, I, I'd that? seen the original one, the very, the okay. very, the original Friday the 13th. And I'd seen the, the remake that from like 2008 or. Okay. That's that right. Came out. Yeah. But it was so much fun to listen to you talk about the series and juxtapose that with people who I know that are fans of the series because uh-huh. there were there were times where you were diametrically opposed to what a, what your traditional fans would like but then there were other but but a lot of your points made a lot of sense and it was just it was a really cool uh little thing to do to do those those short bite-sized pieces of like here's Phil talking about yet another one you know and, and I I, <laughs> I I had a slowly blast slipping making... into insanity <laughs> I had a blast making those and despite I really shit talked a couple of those movies but I did have fun watching all of them because they are all ridiculous on some level. There's a handful mm-hmm. of them that are legitimately really fun, good movies. Uh, and the rest, even the bad ones are are pretty fun. So I, it was a really cool series to do and to just kind of uh, go, hey, I, I know everybody sees these as a kid. I'm a 48 year old man and I'm going to watch a lot of these movies for the first time. And you're going to get a 48 year old man's reaction to them. And, uh, man, I had a, I had a blast for that series. Yeah. I'm glad you did too. That was great. So the picture show with Austin and Phil rude and then Austin's podcast, who's on first, check those out. Those are on first. Uh, yeah, please check them out and you can see everything else I'm up to at philrudeart.com. Definitely check that out. And, uh, you had your Kickstarter stuff going on recently for that anthology? Yeah. Uh, uh, Kai Media and Apollo City Comics put together uh, the Shadow Anthology. Uh, and I have a story in that. Our k- Kickstarter just wrapped up last week. Uh, we made over three times our goal. Awesome. Uh, we got a, a great number of backers. So there's like 30 creators on there. Um, I have a six-page story called Shepherd. It's a Western uh, a Western horror, um, uh, 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 monster hunters in the old West kind of thing. And nice. my buddy, Derek Glasscock and I are working on more of those. So there are going to be more shepherd comics, uh, coming out in the not distant future. Uh, I'll, I have a blog on my site, so, uh, you can subscribe to that and I will give updates as I have them. Excellent. And that site one more time philrudeart.com yes check that out phil thank you so much for being here always a pleasure to have you on uh i i I appreciate you being on my emergency standby list as well um oh i like being on that list uh this this is a lot of fun i I love coming on here and talking to you travis well i love having you on and uh and as always it was it was my pleasure um thank you so much now I record this show live Sunday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern time at twitch.tv slash TV's Travis. Yes, even when there's a a big football game going on, I'm still here recording. Um, And then you can check it out as a podcast on Wednesdays, anywhere you get your podcasts, including uh, YouTube. So if you go to youtube.com forward slash at TV's Travis or go to tvstravis.com, you can find uh, all my links there to this show, other shows that I do. Uh, I've got merchandise on there if you want some, if you want my logo on something. Um, and also the Patreon for this show, uh, you can find on that site or at patreon.com slash W-Y-H-S. Uh, you can do for as little as $1 per episode um, if you uh, are so inclined. And I appreciate everybody who does that and everybody who listens. Just listening to the show, uh, I appreciate you so, so much. Um, now, next week, 
I have, uh, let's see, I believe Don is coming back. Diddy. Yes. Don is coming back. Diddy. He hasn't been on the show for a while, but we, he has not seen Aquaman. And with the, with the newer Aquaman that just came out and he wanted to watch that, I said, well, let's, let's do that. Cause I, I enjoyed that movie. Um, so 2019's Aquaman is what we're watching for next week's episode. Uh, followed by, I'm also going to be doing Sideways in the next couple of weeks, which I can't Ooh, wait. I do love Sideways. Uh, I love me Sideways. Yeah, Alexander Payne, great. There, great. There's going to be a lot of audio clips for that one, I can already yes. tell. Um, <laughs> I, I, I can predict one of them right now, but uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a handful so, that come to mind. Great, great movie, great Mm-hmm. way to go introducing that to somebody somebody deserves to have that movie introduced to them yes yes they do that is going to be bobby frankenberger is going to watch that one so oh, cool. that's what's coming up over the next couple of weeks uh on the show as we uh move through uh into uh spring so until next week and until uh i watch aquaman which i'm gonna have fun with that because it's just a silly movie that's um Momoa. phil yeah. oh yeah Phil, thank you so much for being here. And uh, for everyone else that's listening, just remember, enjoy your movies and let's be excellent to each other. All right, there's been wait you haven't seen. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>